Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Rowdy Buddhist Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the third noble truth. But before we do, let's do a little recap. So, as we stated in the first of the four noble truths, the first is life is suffering, as is usual, uh, usually uh, translated as. However, we uh, the word that is more appropriate in that situation is unsatisfactory. So, we come to realize that the current state of things are unsatisfactory. And that no matter how many things we try to get, how many things we try to change, how many things we try to control, the result is the same. Secondly, uh, we have the cause of suffering. And we find out that the cause of suffering is our endless craving. Of course, this is brought on by the main root of the problem, that being of ignorance. And finally, in this analysis of our existence, of our current situation, the third noble truth uh, becomes relevant. That is, there is an end to this suffering or that there is an end to this unsatisfactoriness. So our current state, uh, there is an end. This is the Buddha's point of his practice and that he is guaranteeing, guaranteeing uh, us an idea that uh, a promise that there is an end that he has realized through his own practice it's interesting this third noble truth because it's very often look, overlooked because obviously the profoundness of life is unsatisfactory and then the causes uh, are usually very important and people talk about it and debate it etc and then of course we have the fourth one which is the path being the eightfold path or the sixfold uh, the six uh, paramitas uh, in Mahayana Buddhism but the third one is actually extremely essential in itself and, and in my own life I've come to realize that this is the actual what I wished what I hoped for, what I perhaps even, quote, desired, and the reason why I began to practice Buddhism. Because actually, this promise that there is an end to your suffering is given by all religion, that uh, in their promise of redemption or rebirth or heaven or favoritism from God or Godhead or something of that sort. Uh, when I was younger... And a lot of times it's interesting because we may overlook the kind of purity, we would say naivety, but actually I would say the more untainted view of life, which we can come to many very profound uh, realizations when we're young through our pure observation, uh, up until we are, of course, contaminated or um, manipulated or subjugated by society, uh, religion, culture, etc. And of course, then whatever religion we are born in, uh, that dogma is taught to us. So therefore, the, the way that we overcome our problems of unsatisfactoriness or suffering is given through that religion. Uh, unless we actually pursue or study other traditions uh, or um, Many years ago, before the internet, that wasn't so easy. The only way you could comparatively understand other religions were 
if you had taken a college level uh, world religion class, which again, that is usually look at one teaching one or two days uh, simply. So a lot of times uh, big misunderstandings happen. But as a child, I realized that uh, in my perception of things, that this was something that was not able to be fixed by some deity or God or by some book of uh, rules or laws, etc., or even through one's obligation or supplication to culture or religious passion or life, etc. And that when I had heard of Buddhism, and I, I believe in my life there was a natural um, connection with the Buddhist teaching, because up until that point I was not interested in any religion, that I did in time desire a way to overcome suffering because actually in 17 years old or 16 years old you, you, you don't have a great perception of suffering usually my f suffering is a very minimalistic compared to what we would consider now however in the great overall concept of suffering within Buddhism is that the actual idea of conditioned life Bases, uh, based on causes and conditions uh, bring about this um, samsaric, this secular existence of suffering. We call it the toilet bowl effect. Just keeps spinning around and flush down, right? That it's going nowhere with nothing to be able to uh, free ourselves. Uh, but it seems like sometimes, uh, not sometimes, I believe it is, that religion deeper makes a deeper entanglement for us because again most religion is done based on identity that's why most people accept the religion of their parents because it is an idea of identity and association not necessarily based on a realization or a concept uh, in which they have uh, realized in their own existence that uh, the true way to overcome suffering is done through such and such teaching but for myself and I believe all beings we have this deep desire and it doesn't matter what religion they follow or what teaching or even the denial of religion or teaching they do this in the idea the uh, passion or the desire to end suffering in their life and again this is a very personal endeavor because to actually think about the concept of helping other people from suffering usually doesn't cross most people's mind it's usually an individualistic relief of suffering but yet uh, in buddhism we grow from that individualistic single mindset to a bigger mindset that as we see in the mahayana or in the lotus sutra the idea of the one vehicle that all are contained within that um, desire to end suffering, that goal to end suffering. And in Buddhism, and we'll talk again after we finish this lecture uh, of the Four Noble Truths, I'm going to talk about the difference of the concept in Mahayana. So this end to suffering is seen in Buddhism as the word Nirvana. Nirvana is an idea of extinction. If you hear this word pronounced as Nibbana, it's very important that that is a cue, that that is the idea of the Theravadan, the elders' position, 
of understanding the concept. So there are many concepts based on which school or teaching that you follow for the meaning of this goal of nirvana. And the nirvana, actually there are two kinds of nirvana. One nirvana is realized in this life, and one nirvana is realized after one dies. So nirvana is being able to see the conditions in this life. So it becomes unattached to the conditions. It simply observes them. It is not directed or manipulated by them, by this uh, craving. Craving becomes removed. Therefore, because we enlightened ignorance, we are able to perceive things as proper. So this is the idea of the extinction of suffering. That this is the way that we can end suffering through our practice and study as Nichiren Shonen state. So it's interesting because this idea of nirvana is we might accept it as, oh, there is just one concept of nirvana in Buddhism. But actually, uh, as we proceed through the Buddha's teaching, and as which we'll realize and discuss later, there is a very vast concept, uh, a very vast difference in the concept. So that this actual idea of what ends suffering is very different. And can seem sometimes, if someone looks at Buddhism whole, without the idea of expediential teaching, as taught in Chapter 2 of the Nirvana, uh, the, the Lotus Sutra, then one might even think that they're contradictory to each other. But in reality, they're not. They're all leading to this one point of realization. The other important concept to realize in this Third Noble Truth, that there is an end to suffering, is that we are to realize that as we have moved forward from the first realization to the second realization and now to the third, we realize in this concept, the statement that there is an end to suffering, that we have the capacity to do it. That is a very deep statement that I am making. Maybe you don't realize how deep it is. This is an amazing statement because most people rely on some external power or external thing to come to the realization, to allow them or to give them favor to overcome suffering. But Buddhism, as I've stated in many previous podcasts, always pointing inside. So therefore, we realize that we have the capacity that we first come to realize when we examine that life is unsatisfactory and what that means and then we realize that oh our my, our movements of mind our actions our uh, how do we say our cravings for things to be different or things to be a certain way through our ignorance of the reality of real, of life is the cause of our suffering so we need to become at this third stage of the Four Noble Truths to realize, to stop thinking that truth is out there externally and that the Buddha has caused us to look internally, 
So therefore, looking outside, and, and you do it in many different ways, and, and I wish to make a podcast about actually Buddhism and technology, because people constantly are thinking, ah, the truth is out there, or the cause is out there blaming other people, or that the truth will come from me, or the truth will come from that, or from the place, or him, or them, or she, or anyone, that deity that deity, that religion. But actually the Buddha turns and directs this inward, which is actually a very profound realization. We realize that the truth is in us and that to see it is the purpose of our practice and study. So we move from the macro to the micro, this, of course, as I've stated many times, is removing the percentage of error by going as close as we can to the subject of our examination, of our study, as in the scientific method. If we look outside, we may blame others or blame governments or people, politicians, ideas, beliefs for our suffering. But in reality, as we then will look at the cause and the second noble truth, we realize that that suffering is simply by our craving for things to be our way. And then, of course, we realize that our perception, first of all, looking outside, is based on ignorance. Looking in the external, the ever-changing, the impermanent world. Instead, when we realize there is an end to suffering, as we'll see in the next noble truth, the path, that path is to be walked by us, then it's very essential that path is the word that they use for Buddhism because that means one must walk the path itself. And as I've stated in other podcasts, originally Buddhism was called Butsudo, the path of Buddhism. Not that Buddhism the religion or the book of Buddhism, as they say now in Japanese, Bukkyo, which Kyo is a kind of teaching. But the path of Buddhism was always the way that Buddhism was identified or explained. So they then, as we realize this changing from the macro, the big world, the external world, to the micro, to our inner nature, and then as we see, our aspiration, our bodhicitta, then our realization or faith that the Buddha nature exists. We have this recognition in oneself. So this recognition of oneself is actually, first we have the recognition of dukkha, suffering. The second one, as we see in the Noble Truth, the cause of that suffering is in our lives, in our perception, in our ignorance. And then the third is that when we realize that well-being is possible, and again, this is the direction and, and the wordage, the verbiage that uh, Buddhism must use. Because again, if, if this is incorrectly taught or misunderstood through one's own craving, of course, how we look at everything is distorted, we may think Buddhism is a negative concept. But actually... This is the liberation, the idea that liberation is possible. This is the energy that comes behind it, the direction. 
that well-being is possible. Second, well-being should be attained. And third, realization. We become more aware or mindful rather than simply trying to let go or change or rearrange our lives. You see this all the time where how people think, if I only remove this person or this problem, my life will be good. But another problem comes, another misunderstanding comes, another trouble. That if I could just escape and be away from all people, I would be happy. Again, we realize the reality that this external changing, this external manipulation, this external concept is itself the cause of suffering. And that by realization, to see things from this nature, from this Buddha nature, from this concept, this uh, nature, we can correctly come to the realization that there is a path that we must walk in order to come to this realization of overcoming suffering. So the Buddha, especially in the context of the Lotus Sutra, states that once we come to this realization that there is an end to suffering, we must, without hesitation or mental reservation, distract ourselves from the reality of this attainment, of this awakening. But many times people might, in their intellectual mind, agree with this statement, but it is a much different outcome if one actualizes it, experientially manifests it in one's life. Because again, that is the internal, the inward look into our well-being, into our nature as such, that we correct our awareness, that we correct our perception. And therefore, when we are in this state, we are considered well. But when we are not in this state, we are considered sick. So as I've said before, like the great physician, as the Buddha has many times referred to, the medicine we have to heal ourselves is in ourselves, in our original nature, not something that is given or can be taken away or realized or understood or written down, but something that is actualized in, in every movement, in every action and therefore the direction of our life and as we state in the Mahayana concept the Bodhisattva way our influence on others we come to realize through this interdependence that our nature our Buddha nature has already and always known that there is an end of suffering and when I relate back to that story that I talked about earlier when I was a child, I believe my Buddha nature was speaking louder. And I consider myself lucky that I did not accept any of the, or as many of the perhaps misgivings or misconcepts or ideas 
as one teacher said, replaying the ridiculous story, replaying the old tape of our karma, our parents' drama, our culture drama, the drama of all suffering beings over and over. But then we realize that there is an end and that end allows us to have towards faith and then gained faith which then directs our life. So I hope that this talk has been helpful as we have discussed the third of the four noble truths that there is an end to suffering. Thank you very much. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Rowdy Buddhist. Today we're going to continue our series on the fourth noble truth. And to begin with, I'm going to read something from the Nikaya. The Nikaya are perhaps one of the most reliable sources of the early Buddhist teaching. And I want to read a section that specifically speaks on the idea of this fourth noble truth. What is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering? It is this noble eightfold path that is to say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. There is this noble truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. The noble truth must be penetrated to by cultivating the path. This noble truth has been penetrated too by cultivating the path. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing and light that arose in me about things not heard before. This of course is the Buddha speaking about what the Eightfold Path intends to lead us towards. So now again I'm going to speak uh, from the idea of early Buddhism and then I will add in the concept of Mahayana. So the fourth noble truth like the original, like the first three of them, have also these three aspects. The first aspect is that there is the Eightfold Path. That is the way out of suffering. That the Eightfold Path is the true uh, relief of suffering, as we denote from the first noble truth. We identify it. We find out what the cause is. We find out the aspects to overcome it, that they can be overcome. That means, in a way, finding faith. Uh, believing in the Buddha's enlightenment, and then finally, the way that that is to be overcome, the way out of suffering. It is also it is the also can be called the noble path. So you'll find it the eightfold path, the eightfold noble path. There's a few different words for it. The second aspect is that the path should be developed. And what this actually means by the word developed means that you must walk the path. And I think it's very integral to know what verbiage, what words that the Buddha uses, especially in translation. That's why a lot of times now we have to go back to translations and try to find the more applicable word um, that perhaps in a lot of early translations are the correct word in English, but yet do not 
give us the correct emotion or insight or understanding uh, that, how do you say, internally leads us to understanding a concept of Buddhism, such as the idea of path. So Buddhism is seen as a path rather than a religion, a path meaning that one has to walk it themselves and, as in said, that needs to be developed, should be developed in order for one to attain enlightenment, one must walk the path of enlightenment, the path of Buddhahood. And then the final of the three are the idea of attaining arahatship, uh, or as they have translated as sainthood, but arahat means one who has gone beyond the cycle of birth and death. And that has that the path has been fully developed. That is in the third aspect that that is the effect. So the effect of walking the path developing the path, we become uh, removed from suffering in the Theravadan concept or goal of arahatship or sainthood, as people have said. The Eightfold Path, as we may know, is present in, in the specific sequence, and, and I have a whole entire aspect in which we go uh, through each of the uh, parts of the Eightfold Path. And you can see very much why it is absolutely important to understand it sequentially. So, beginning, we have, of course, people translated as right understanding. Right understanding means understanding the correct truth. However, I prefer the idea of right view. Because in that right view, one must have or accept from their teacher, um, from someone who has gone before, such as the Buddha, the correct faith, the correct view, the correct practice that we accept from the Guru, the light. That means that we adjust the view in our life. So sometimes by using this idea of right understanding, it's implied that you already understand. However, it simply means accepting the right view of life. And we do that by check, by accepting the correct philosophy or correct path that allows us to be able to go through the other part of the Eightfold Path. And then it goes on, of course, to right intention or aspiration, which are the two first elements of the path, which are grouped together. So therefore, right view or right understanding and right aspiration are put together in a series under the idea of wisdom. And then we go on, of course, to moral commitment, following the path of uh, precepts. And, of course, within this we see the idea of right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And this can also be referred to as the perfect speech, perfect action, or perfect livelihood. And that goes into the second aspect, which is under morality. Uh, you may hear shila. Uh, the right to morality is right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then we, of course, move from there to the idea of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And that this naturally flows from the idea of having the correct morality, the correct practice, the correct restraints, that I would say rather than morality, that allow us through our restraints, through our uh, sensitivity to our, how do you say, awareness, we are then absolutely able to enter into the idea of having correct effort, 
which leads us to right mindfulness. And of course, our right concentration of, is the ultimate goal of Buddhism. So the last three provide uh, for us emotional balance. They are about the heart, the heart that is liberated from self-view and from selfishness. With right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, it is said that our heart can be pure, free from all uh, tainting, all marring, all karma, and defilements. When our heart is upright and pure, the mind is naturally peaceful. Wisdom, as we see in the first set of the first two pana, which is right understanding or right aspiration, comes from a pure heart. That is where we gain the idea in Nichiren Buddhism, the idea of right view, being the idea of faith. That by accepting, we, we, we of course, announce that faith and imbue that faith, faith in our body and our mind and purify our six sense organs with the title Namu Myoho Rengi Kyo. And of course, this takes us back to our original place where we come from, where we started. So these then are the elements of the Eightfold Path and they're grouped into those three sections of wisdom, morality, concentration. It's important to know that there is a natural progression, as I state when I talk about the Eightfold Path. And sometimes people can look at it as linear, but that doesn't mean that they happen in a linear way or in sequence. Now when one practices there is an implied idea, such as even if you read the Eight Limbs of Yoga, which is very similar, that there is this natural progression that in order to move on to the idea of restraining oneself, we must have this kind of uh, shila or morality in order to have sangha, to deal with others. Then we regulate ourselves, then we regulate our body, we regulate our breathing, we regulate our mind, etc. that lead to the idea of the right effort, the right that leads us to the correct state of mindfulness, and then, of course, ultimately, uh, sama samadhi, which is the ultimate goal of uh, early Buddhism, the idea of attaining samadhi. So, when we talk about the Eightfold Path, even though they mustn't be sequential, the most important is that you have to have the right understanding or the right view. That is why the essential idea of accepting Buddhism and being a Buddhist, being a student of the Buddha, making the path of your life, is essential in having the right view. That if you accept, essentially accept some things from Buddhism, some ideas, yes, of course, these things can help you to progress in life, but yet to the ultimate goal of samadhi or awakening, be very difficult, but you would not be able to, and the Buddha says that even if you do not follow the path, of course there are lesser samadhis, there are lesser attainments. But in order to attain the uh, samadhi, the sama samadhi of the Buddha, we have to go by his path, through his practice, through his faith. That is why it's essential that we have the correct faith, which is, of course, what Nichiren Shonen so adamantly speaks on. Another idea is that when we see this being presented in this way, 
in a simplistic idea, it teaches us to reflect on the importance of taking personal responsibility for what we say and do in our lives, in that each of our actions actually point us or are part of the path or they are a part of suffering. So therefore, that is why each step that we make in our practice and study is essential, that it's in alignment with the correct teachings of the Buddha. So therefore, you know, a lot of people listen to Nichiren Shonen and, and state and think that he's an extremist, but in actuality, he is a good friend. He's a good teacher because he constantly puts us back on the path, the correct path of the Buddha, which amounts, of, of course, to the idea of the right view. He's imbuing us with this right view that gets deeper and deeper and deeper through understanding. And I've experienced that in my own practice of Buddhism. I have to admit, when I first started Buddhism, because it wasn't my original practice or teaching that I grew up with, of course I want to make it into my own idea. I want to make it into my own practice and bring in uh, things that I consider of value. But as we progress in our practice and study, the value changes. And that, of course, has to do with wisdom. That naturally, uh, all of the excess falls away and what is revealed is the actual teaching of the Buddha. That's amazing. And it naturally happens if we continually walk the path. That is why most great teachers constantly are just nudging us, guiding us, making parameters towards the actual path itself. That is why good teacher, good friend, as stated, is really essential in our practice because it's so easy to step off the path and then go back and, and mistake right view for ego or selfishness. And you can see naturally, if you go back and listen to the six paramitas, you can see how the six paramitas are derived as a Mahayana view of the Eightfold Path. And, and I believe, because when I first listened to the Eightfold Path, especially even such of the word correct or right, of course, we get into our moralistic mind. And when we talk about shila or morality, that is not the same morality as we find in Judeo-Christian or in any other kind of religion. The idea of some deity gives us a morality. This is a morality based on wisdom, based on enlightenment. That That is the way the universe is and that when we are in natural harmony with this correct view, this correct action, this correct mindfulness, we are, of course, then the path of Buddhism becomes existent. But if we do not, the path is not there. And one thing I want to end with about the Eightfold Path, and, and this helped me a lot, because it can be, again, with the verbiage, the wordage, get very complicated. And, and again, we read into it what we'd like to with our limited ideas or thoughts. And sometimes, to be honest, most people's eyes glaze over uh, and they say, oh, it's just about morality, like the uh, Ten Commandments. But the Eightfold Path can be used as a reflective teaching. So in the Eightfold Path, the element, the eight elements of the Eightfold Path work like eight legs that support us. This is what one of my teachers taught me when I was a monk. It's not like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. On the linear scale, of course, that can be seen to help us work towards enlightenment. It is more of working together of all of the aspects. It is not that you develop the pana first 
or the idea, pana or wisdom first, and then when you have that wisdom, then you can develop morality. That's how people think. And then once you have morality that has been developed, then you can be able to attain samadhi. That's how most people think, I, I believe. That's how I thought originally when I heard the Eightfold Path. But you have to have one, then two, and then three, people think. Like collecting some, uh, how do you say, sweepstakes sticker or something. I remember at McDonald's used to give out Monopoly pieces to people. Seems like that. Oh, I have to collect all of these, then I win. As an actual realization, developing the Eightfold Path is an experiment in each moment. It is all one. So instead of seeing them as all separate, we see them as one. All the parts are working as one strong development for us. It's not a linear process. We might think that the way because we might think that way because we can only have one thought at a time. That, of course, is our challenge as a human being. However, everything that we've said about the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truth is only a reflection. What is really important for us and for you is to realize what I'm actually saying as I reflect rather than grasp to the things that I am saying. It is a process of bringing the Eightfold Path into your mind, using it as a reflective teaching so that you can consider what it actually means for each aspect. Don't just think you know it because you can say all of the correct from right view, etc. Or that you argue, no, in the book it says, right thought is such and such, or you've got it wrong. That is not a reflection. That is dogma. We can understand the idea of right thought or right attitude or intention as we try things out. We can use these as tools for contemplation, and that is what most monks have spoken to me of, that they use it for contemplation rather than thinking, that they are absolutely fixed, and that we have to accept them in an orthodox style. And of course, the orthodoxy comes with our limited mind, our limited thought. Any kind of variation from the exact interpretation we may see as heresy. Those are many times how people study Buddhism and become Buddhist scholars. However, they have not practiced the Eightfold Path nor walk the path of Buddhism. And sometimes our minds are, of course, always built, I believe the human minds are always built in this rigid way. But when we're trying to transcend that rigid way of thinking by developing a mind that is flexible and moves around, watches, investigates, considers, wonders, and of course, as we understand which each aspect, as it gets deeper and deeper, we reflect. We have to encourage each of us, and I wish to encourage you to be brave enough to wisely consider the way things are rather than how someone has told you, whether you are ready or not for enlightenment. You may be ready for enlightenment, but you're, you believe you're not. Again, this is the idea of right, incorrect view. But actually, the Buddha's teaching is one of him being enlightened and understanding our enlightened mind in, our, in this moment. 
rather than doing something to become enlightenment. Of course, though, we have to understand that as a the concept of learning and practicing, as Nichiren Shonen has stated. Yes, we have Buddha nature, but we must pursue that Buddha nature through learning and practicing. The idea that you must do something specific to become enlightened is merely another condition dependent upon something else. So it's not really enlightenment, as many people state. It is only a perception of enlightenment, which most people's idea of Buddhism is simply a perception. But I believe that, as Nichiren Shonen exemplifies as living Buddhism, once you remove from the perception, you awaken from the perception, the veil of your own ego, you are able to actually practice Buddhism. So again, we're not talking about any kind of perception, but about being alert to the way things are, that is seeing reality as it is, jiso. The present moment is what we can actually observe. We cannot observe tomorrow, and we can only remember yesterday. But, important to remember through the Eightfold Path that Buddhism is very immediate to the here and now, of course, leading and seeing the way things really are. Now, how do we do all of this? We first have to look at our doubts and fears because we get so attached to our views and opinions and that these take us into doubt about where what we are doing. Someone might develop even a false confidence believing that they are enlightened. But believing that you are enlightened or believing that you are not enlightened are both delusions. So what I'm pointing to is that being enlightened rather than believing in it and for this we need to open to the way things are. That is what the Buddha simply did, was awaken to wake up. And we start with the way things are as they happen to be right now, such as the breathing of our own bodies. What has that to do with the truth, with enlightenment? Does watching my breath mean that I am enlightened? But the more you try to think about it and figure it out what it is, the more uncertain you and insecure you can feel. All we can do in this conventional form is to let go of delusion. That is the ultimate practice of the Four Noble Truths and the development of the Eightfold Path. So I hope all of you will be able to gain some insight about even the idea of the orthodoxy or inflexibility that we attach to our incorrect view. That actually, the right view means seeing through the eyes of the Buddha. That is why we take the Buddha as our teacher. We wish to see through his eyes because we wish to see enlightenment as he did. True, ultimate enlightenment. Not partial enlightenment, but full re fully realized enlightenment as that is taught in the Lotus Sutra and exemplified by our, by our founder, Nichiren Shonen, through his life. There is a lot of truth to be said in that. Because yes, Nichiren Shonen used and understood the sutras and engaged in scholarly debates, but there was another aspect that was unassuming, that was genuine, 
that was real, that was jiso as it is. And no matter what the situation seemed on the outside or how immediately the ego wanted to perceive good or bad, he understood through right view, faith, which of course led and directed him through his entire life. So I hope that this explanation of the Fourth Noble Truth and the overall explanation of the Eightfold Path has been useful for you. Thank you very much for your time today. Namu Myoho Renge Kyo.